My name's Josh, if I don't know you. Uh, I get to do this fairly regularly here at Cornerstone as the teaching pastor, and it's a great privilege of mine. A couple weeks ago, um, we had some visitors here uh, at Cornerstone, uh, Chris and Emma Paulson and their kids. Um, And so uh, that was a part of this series that we'd done on neighbourhood ministry. And they told the story of what God had been doing in their neighbourhood. And then through them, they moved into um, quite a poor uh, suburb of Bundaberg. They told the story. um, And there was lots of need. Um, They didn't even begin to tell how much uh, they do, actually. Uh, They didn't have time and they're just humble. But... uh, Emma was doing things like she put a little public pantry out the front uh, of their yard so that kids who didn't have lunch on the way to school could just grab some freshly baked stuff. They're really creative in stuff like that. But they felt like God was calling them to have dinner one night a week in the park. Um, and it turns out uh, that they ended up feeding many of the people in the, in the neighbourhood with uh, those cheap barbecue sausages and bread and it's become this institution in the park at the end of their street with uh, we've been there when there's been like 50 60 more people there and it's called sausages now it's an institution in their neighborhood sausages Um, but then they uh, realized they always go home from sausages and read bible stories to their kids so they invited neighborhood kids to come and hear bible stories in their living room Uh, And that grew, so they had to buy Bibles for all these kids. And the story, as they told it, was the next thing they realised, they kind of had a church. They didn't necessarily want to start a church. They had other things to do. Chris has got another job. They're busy people, five kids. Um, But we got a little bit of insight into um, what they're calling. And I think they had their first uh, Sunday meeting of what they're calling Chip Church. So they're just buying a heap of hot chips uh, on a Sunday and whoever from the neighbourhood wants to come around and eat some chips and hear about Jesus um, can do that. And um, yeah, (laughs) so uh, they were so encouraged by their time with us. Chris sent me this picture of the Sunday after. I think it was two Sundays ago that they were um, with us and that's a picture of Chip Church. And um, uh, he just said, you know, what an answer to prayer. Uh, A couple of quotes from people who were there. Coming here makes me feel so close to God, like a weight lifted. It's so good to have God and this group to get me through life at the moment. It really helps when we pray, doesn't it? Um, These are people who have no connection to church other than they started going to Chip Church. And um, the week after that, I mean, they were encouraged to be with us. Uh, I don't know if you'd be less supportive if you knew this, but they're not really from our part of the church they're actually from brethren and presbyterian circles they were so blessed to come and hang out with some pentecostals who just were inspired by what they're doing and and um prayed for them and encouraged them and had conversations with them um i was so encouraged um not just um i was encouraged because pretty much every day of the week after that someone from the church community reached out to me and said hey how can i get in touch with the Paulsons how can I support them that was encouraging for me uh, because um, I think what they're doing is amazing and it deserves support Um, I'm always moved by your generosity as a community Um, but what really encouraged me was it was a response because there's so many opportunities that we have to give in this community there's a lot of need what really encouraged me was what 
we were responding to something really simple and essential to the good news that they are doing, right? We were, we were just seeing that they were doing something Jesus-like and we were thinking, we want to get on board and support that. And um, as I was thinking about this story of them in their neighbourhood and the open hearts and the open doors that they've encountered. It made me think of so many stories in the Gospels, but one in particular of where Jesus encounters open hearts and open lives, where he comes with this message of hope, of good news, of salvation, eternal life. Different stories use different language. Um, In this one, uh, in John 4, he meets this woman at the well, doesn't he? And he has insight into her life. She's had a difficult life. She's a marginalised character in her village. And he offers her eternal life, he uses those words, and water that will satisfy every thirst and not run out. And you probably know the story. It says, it's a lovely little detail. She puts down her water carrier, her pot, She runs into the village, the village where she's probably, you know, not got the greatest reputation and she says, come, you've got to come and meet this man who told me about my life. And she asks the question, could this be the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for? Such uh, uh, an inspiring story of that uh, eternal life message of the water the everlasting water that can meet all thirsts, finding ground that swallows it up, finding a life that longs for it, finding a heart that will receive that message. Who knows, though, that um, it doesn't always go that way. Um, I'm a pastor, and so I can't get away from the fact that when I interact with people, they soon find out that I'm a Christian. Maybe some of you guys who don't uh, have a kind of vocational Christian um, job can, um, can sort of keep it on the DL, but as soon as, it, as soon as people ask me what I do, it's out there. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a wonderful evangelist, but I haven't been able to get out of that situation generally. And so you get practice at it. And I've had, like, I've got heaps of stories of this. I remember recently I was at a... Uh, at a fundraiser for a sort of secular charity, people I don't know on either side of me, and one guy says, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. And the look of disdain on his face, <laughs> and not, not this isn't an exaggeration, you get used to this kind of stuff. He turned in his seat away from me and just didn't look at me for the rest of the night. I had no opportunity to chat to him. And that's just the effect that it has sometimes. That's something else about me. <laughs> But maybe you've experienced that to some degree. And I think uh, the name of this series, Through the Noise, is speaking to that. There's a lot of noise around what it means to be a Christian. We are living our lives so often in contexts where telling someone that we're Christian isn't necessarily welcome news. What do we do about that? Well, you might be comforted that Jesus had those kind of conversations too, didn't he? So here's another story, Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler and he actually comes with interest, this guy. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you, you know, you're being a good Jew? Yeah, I'm being a good Jew. Okay, well, go and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and then come follow me. And again, you know the story, I'm, I'm uh, sort of whipping through it for the sake of time. 
but it was too high a bar, wasn't it? It was too high a bar for that young man. He had a life that he liked, <laughs> that he didn't really want to let go of. Often, actually, when we share our faith, when we live a life of discipleship following Jesus, we will come into noise. We will encounter people who don't necessarily want to hear the message that we have. And so there are open doors as we live kingdom lives, as we live as disciples of Jesus, and there are closed doors. There are open hearts and there are closed hearts as well. Take some comfort from this and please hear me well on this point. If Jesus could encounter closed hearts, if Jesus could share his message of hope and have people reject it, it's going to happen to us as well, right? It's just par for the course. And so the success of your discipleship, even the success of you as an evangelist, if you feel like that's on your life, if that's a part of who you are, what God's going to do through you, is not dictated (laughs) by whether you always have open doors, right? There's going to be closed doors. Jesus himself encountered them. The success of what we do as disciples in terms of sharing our faith in the world really rises and falls on whether we follow Jesus in the way that we do it. It's not about statistics necessarily, it's about obedience. This is tricky for us because as Christians, as human beings, we kind of like black and white categories. We like to think that there's a silver bullet that if we always do it this way, if we, if we get this little evangelistic sort of um, methodology down, pat things to say in this situation, that it's always going to work. It just doesn't work and we don't like that. So we tend to go one of two ways, I've noticed. One is um, that the gospel becomes sort of so unoffensive and formless that it has no real shape. And so, for those with whom we might share it, it just becomes one option of many. You know, why Jesus? Why Christianity? Well, it's just my truth, right? Um, Does Jesus actually want me to give some things up, like the rich young ruler? Well, um, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Um, There's one path in response to the uncomfortability of the fact that there's no silver bullet which takes us in a direction where our faith kind of washes out. Maybe we do keep our identity too much on the down low when we shouldn't. The other path is to go in exactly the opposite direction and just feel as though we've done our duty if we just sort of shout repent and leave it at that. You know, there may have been a time, let me kind of concede, there may have been a time in Western society, where this was somewhat effective, the bullhorn guy just preaching repentance on the corner. And actually, I still think it might sometimes be (laughs) effective. I think uh, if you talked to someone who was involved with uh, walking around town square with a sign like that, they'd probably be able to tell you some stories of some interesting conversations they have. (laughs) Yet, (laughs) my experience tells me that the general kind of effect of that sort of ministry is people feeling alienated (laughs) from Christianity and not particularly um, well um, positioned towards it. 
people not really wanting more. And you know, you've seen people in the town square. They walk by those people as quickly as they can. In fact, I think a lot of it's just they don't even really understand. Like, what does repent mean to the average person on the street? They don't know. There's no relationship there where you can begin to actually sort of unpack that. There's no context that can happen. It's just someone who seems kind of angry so often shouting. And I want to suggest that both of these reactions, really, to the sometimes complexity of following Jesus, the lack of a silver bullet in sharing your faith, both of these reactions really just add to the noise. They add to the noise. And they're not probably helping any of us in this room share a message that so many actually do have open hearts to. So I want to just drop in the time that I've got, which I'm going to say is about seven or eight minutes. I'm not going to just guess, actually. Let me look at my run sheet. I want to just drop three, I think, barriers Three things that add to the noise and just tell three little stories about what we might be able to do with that. So there is open hearts, sometimes there's closed hearts. We just need to be obedient. Let's be obedient, following Jesus, doing it the way that he did, maybe removing some of the noise. This famous passage follows on from one that Pastor Graham preached about that week that we had the Paulsons visit. It's about God leading with love by coming into our world and pitching his tent amongst us. It goes on, John's Gospel in chapter 3, to say these famous words, verse 16, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then I've underlined this for a purpose this morning. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through Jesus. Let me be clear, there's no sense in which I'm taking judgment off the table, because scripture doesn't. But what this passage says is that God came to save. It's interesting to me, actually, that um, when you read the rest of it, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Actually, condemnation isn't a condition of what God is bringing through Jesus. Um, Condemnation is an existent quality in our hearts. And that's something I want to unpack with a point that I'm going to get to in a moment. So, Jesus comes to save If we're on about his mission, if we're following his footsteps as disciples, that's what we're about. We, it's not our business actually to condemn the world, um, but I will unpack that a little bit as we go. So three things that I think contribute to the noise, three things that I think we need to rethink in terms of how we do engagement with our brothers and sisters outside of the walls of the church, so to speak. The first issue that I so often see um, as someone who kind of teaches ministry, works at a church, has to share my faith a lot, actually watches other people share their faith, so often Christians aren't real. So often we actually have the effect in our relations with others of making them feel more judged than loved. And very often uh, people feel objectified. 
So they don't feel like a, a human being uh, who is as worthy of God's love and our attention um, and our friendship as someone else. They feel like potentially a kind of notch on our spiritual belt. Let me unpack these a little bit. So the first one might seem a little bit obvious, but I think it bears saying, if we are to deal with this issue of noise that we so much take into the world and encounter, we as Christians need to be real. What does that mean? Don't pretend. (laughs) Don't pretend. So often Christians, I find, when they're doing evangelism, aren't actually smoking what they're selling. I might be be getting, speaking of context, so I might be getting my context mixed up slightly here. We've all got a past, friends. Thank God for grace. But you know what I'm, you know what I mean, right? Like, we can feel this, you you say no, you don't know what, we can feel, okay, well, I better explain, I'm going to spend the, the rest of the sermon just explaining this point. Often I find that Christians feel a sense of sort of like um, imperative and pressure in those evangelistic situations, in a situation where they're sharing their faith, that they oversell (laughs) Christianity. Uh, Don't pretend, for instance, that you don't have doubts when you're sharing your faith. Don't pretend that accepting Jesus into your life meant that uh, everything works out for you immediately. Don't pretend that once a person comes to Christ, all their problems are going to be gone. You know, gone. Don't pretend that the church doesn't have issues, right? And oftentimes I hear, it's almost, I've been in situations where it's like sharks in the water. Someone is like expressing an interest in faith and all of a sudden, all these Christian salespeople who are like projecting a life they don't actually live and isn't particularly believable, creates noise. We need to be authentic, I, um, I've got a number of uh, friends who uh, are atheists um, that I probably text about as much as I text my wife. It's funny how it happens. Um, but in all of these cases of these ongoing conversations that I have um, with people who don't share my faith, I can pinpoint at the beginning of it how religion just wasn't on the agenda. They didn't want to talk about it. And now, years into relationship with these people, we talk about faith all the time. Because I felt like I had to be authentic in my relationship with them. And so when they would say, like, did you see this article in the paper? What do you think about this pastor ripping these people off? I go, that's terrible. (laughs) I think that's terrible, actually. What do you think about churches paying tax? Well, yeah, it's true. Sometimes churches misuse um, the resources they have. But actually, have you thought about um, the heavy lifting that church charities do that our taxes don't have to go to? If you can kind of own (laughs) what's real about your faith, if you can own the fact that you're not a perfect person, your church community is not perfect, you earn the right, actually, to have a real conversation so often I feel like we have, we sort of have this sense we have to, we have to show them a perfect life. Um, we have to, uh, you know, downplay the things that the church isn't doing right, the, the, the questions we might carry, the doubts we might carry, really has the effect of shutting 
conversation down. 1 Peter 3.15 says, um, Revere Christ, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. That sounds like the kind of question that might be asked when people feel like they can trust you (laughs) to give an honest answer. If you're a Christian, it's really easy to point to the hope that you have. Even if you don't have all the answers, just do that. (laughs) Be honest. And when the person says, so you've got these doubts, it sounds like some days you go, am I doing the right thing? And yet, you continue to follow Jesus and go to church. Why do you do that? Well, in the bigger picture, it just actually does make sense of my life. I do have doubts. I've got questions. My life isn't perfect. There's just something about Jesus that I can't get away from. (laughs) Those kind of answers. You don't have to be the world's best evangelist. Jesus had the door shut on him. Be real about who you are. The second point that I wanted to make was about loving people more than you judge them. Now, there's a good chance that everyone in this room sort of thinks, well, I'm not particularly judgmental. That might be true to one degree or the other. But actually, people are so often condemning of themselves, right? I live with a woman, I'm married to her, so that's all kosher, you'll be um, glad to know. But uh, Sharilyn is someone who has got these really deep convictions around environmental issues, around food justice and food security. And I'm blessed uh, by the way that she's kind of let the kingdom of God come into our pantry and, and actually through the whole of our life. I make jokes like I pretend that I don't like it, but it's, it's good. However, um, one of the things I've experienced is, and she, she could tell you the story, she's on Kids Church, the saint that she is. Um, her zeal, her passion, the kind of truth that she holds there is a force for good in the world. Very often, people experience it as kind of too much. People feel condemned, actually, about going to McDonald's, about not having 16 recycling stations like we do in our kitchen. Um, Because it's all just too much. The standard that she lives up to, she doesn't even have to kind of be evangelistic with the way that she speaks about how she lives her ethics out so completely in that area of her life. I just see uh, people kind of going, oh, I could never do that. And do you think that I'm a bad person because I don't do things to that standard? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because you've got friends that do something well from a place of conviction. And it's threatening. (laughs) It's threatening. And so we respond to that so often by... Um, self-justification, well, it's easy for her. She's only got four kids. I've got 16 kids. How am I supposed to have all those recycling stations? (laughs) Or we reject what they stand for. They go, well, actually, none of it's getting recycled anyway. It's just getting shipped to Malaysia and burnt. Maybe true. (laughs) That's an interesting conversation around the dinner table at our place. (laughs) as I'm eating my Big Mac. (laughs) 
out of a retro styrofoam. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, don't you? They might be right. It's just something about our hearts where we're like, either I feel judged by that or I reject it or I justify the way that I'm doing things. At the very least, even if we don't rebel against that, there's a sense of alienation that can come into a relationship. So you might sort of be like, oh, I'm the most accepting Christian there is. You know, like, I don't care what you believe or who you are. I love you and welcome you. That might be true. People will feel condemned potentially just by the fact that you're living your faith out. So what we have to do then is turn the volume up on the love that we would hope is really in our heart. Jesus came to save not to condemn. Condemnation happens. The person might be very clear on what your life says you value and where it puts you in relation to them. Are they clear on how much you love them? If they're not, <laughs> you know which knob to wind up. The one that says, what can I do for you to show you that I love you? You're different from me? Tell me about it. I really want to get to know you. Our actions and words need to communicate love more than judgment. Talk to a chaplain about how they do this, a school chaplain, because that's what they get paid to do. I was um, addressing a, a room of school chaplains uh, fairly recently, and I was talking about, you know, their day, and one of the chappies just says, well, I noticed everyone was getting coffee from the same coffee shop, so why do the coffee run now? I noticed, and maybe they had a little bit of Cheryl in them, in them, that they were using disposable cups every day. So I bought everyone a keep cup. <laughs> She's paid. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing job, really. Paid to love people. We might not get paid to love people, but if we're following Jesus, that's what we're supposed to do. So what does that look like? You following? Third and final point. I'm going to do this, people. I don't think you're too bored yet, which is great. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> I would never do that to you. You feeling a little condemned now? So often... Probably unintentionally, we treat people as objects, not subjects. You know the scenario. You're going to the shopping centre, mine's Stafford City, and you've got to walk in the doors and down like an aisle sort of thing. Not an aisle, like a gangway. What do you call that? The middle of the mall. A mall. Let's call it a mall. <laughs> and to get into the supermarket, and there's two people like with a cardboard desk standing there. They really want to talk to me every single time. It's the funniest thing. I am charming, Graham. I don't care what you say. <laughs> now, it's got nothing to do with my charm, does it? It's got something to do with what they're getting paid to do and getting my money. And it's very often a good cause, but I hate those exchanges. And here you're seeing that I've still got a lot of kind of sanctification to do. I'm not uh, the finished article. Because I just smile and say, sorry, I just walk past every single time. Because I cannot stand a conversation that is only going to end one way. 
I mean, they might do the small talk thing for a while and get to know and pretend they're interested, but you know why they're having that conversation, don't you? Most people are probably a bit like me. Lots of you might be more polite than me. (laughs) No one wants to be in that situation where one person is only there for one thing. And it's not to know you better. It's not to understand you better. Let's not make the way that we share our faith like selling raffle tickets at the supermarket, right? Jesus shares the message of good news because he loves people. He knows them. (laughs) We sometimes have to take the opportunity to get to know them. I loved what Dwayne said last week. I'm going to get the band um, on. Uh, You guys can just start to get ready to lead us. I don't mind if you noodle a little bit in the background. We're going to do communion. I loved what Dwayne said last week, that insight he had into um, the story of the Good Samaritan. It was about what one of them did for one of us, right? That, that was the interpretive key, understanding actually that the people who we least expect so often agents of God in the world. Are we perfect people in this room? Not by a long way. I wish my Presbyterian friends were here. I'm going to say we're sinners, right? That's the gospel. We say that we're sinners. We understand that we're sinners. We know all the ways that we fall short. Living from that should be the source of a little bit of humility, don't you think? I love the Bible so full of of unexpected people being agents of God's grace. Cyrus the Great (laughs) sends the exiles home. The Messiah comes. Who recognises him? Not the religious Jews. Those filthy, stinking Gentiles. It may just be the case (laughs) that the person who most needs to hear about the kingdom of God from you has a fair bit of the kingdom of God to show you.